Welcome to a very special social distancing season of Consumed, the podcast about life and flavor across California, and especially at its heart, the Central Coast. I'm Jamie Lewis. Every quarter, I publish 10 conversations I've had with eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers, but this season is a little different for obvious reasons. To keep things healthy and safe, I'm conducting interviews via Zoom. Thanks for bearing with me in this new, uncharted territory. Before we get started, I have to tell you about a recent conversation I had with my friend, James Onaveros. He's the farmer and owner of Ranchos de Onaveros and Native Nine Wines in the Santa Maria Valley, and I interviewed him in my first season. Anyway, we were talking about COVID and how much it's affecting everything in the hospitality industry, and then I said, yeah, I question whether or not I should even bother doing another season of Consumed right now, given how scary and difficult everything is. James stopped me right there and said, no, Jamie, we need these conversations now more than ever. James is a born storyteller, so I get why he thinks stories matter. But when he said he wanted to sponsor the next season of Consumed, I knew he really meant it. We need stories about our experiences, how we fell in love with food or wine or brewing or baking, and we need it right now, when so many of us have to put our passions on the back burner just to survive. So, I'm letting James and Ranchos de Anaveros help me, and I fully intend to help him. Find his exquisite Pinot Noir and Chardonnay wines at ranchosdeanaveros.com and check out his new restaurant, The Station in Los Alamos, where you can get takeout on the weekends. Find The Station at thestationlosalamos.com. And as always, Consumed is sponsored by the awesome people at Slow Life Magazine. In preparing for their first post-coronavirus issue, I've been so impressed by how resilient they are and how focused they are on the local community. I cover food for Slow Life, so it's been tricky finding a good way to write about restaurants without stressing them out. But the Slow Life editor suggested I write about farm boxes and CSAs, which is a brilliant idea while those services are going bananas with growth. The point is, Slow Life is a source of community and calm right now when we're all separated and anxiety is running maybe a little high. Look for a copy in your mailbox every other month. And if you're not already in the know, subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. So I thought I'd have a quick casual talk with chef and baker Tim Veach of Wayward Baking in Los Osos, California. But here's the thing about talking with Tim. His stories and overall hilarity deserve much more than a 45-minute podcast episode. He is a treasure trove of experiences, including the time he spent in kitchens from Windows on the Water in Morro Bay to Saison in San Francisco and Camino in Oakland. Most recently, he was the executive chef at Via Creek in Paso Robles, but he's since changed his lifestyle away from the restaurant business and more toward pastries and rustic bread baking. And I can tell you from experience that his croissants and naturally leavened sourdough are legit. And on that note, be sure to visit the Wayward Baking website to reserve your breads and pastries for pickup at his Los Osos Warehouse on Sundays or at Le Petit Canai Restaurant in Paso Robles on Fridays. You can find all of this on the Consumed website. In the meantime, Tim and I talked about his time as a cake decorator in a grocery store, about how he quit nursing school after working in geriatrics, and about why he doesn't do fussy food anymore. We also went a little sideways talking about our shared experiences working on farms in Italy, for better or for worse. Okay, here's my talk with Tim Beach. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. Isn't this bizarre? 
You know, it's it's not as it's it's not that bad. It's it, I hate to say that it's becoming normal, but it is. It's really getting it's really getting like commonplace. So yeah, I don't know, man. I'm 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 very much. A, I work in kitchens. I'm very much a roll with the punches kind of guy. You um, have to be, I suppose. Oh, I mean, like the worst thing you can do is panic, and I, I would I would say that that there's been a lot of panic, not personally, but just kind of globally. Uh, uh, so it's weird. It's not normal. <laughs> no, no, it's not. What's your, like, what's your information diet like in terms of news and how you, how you get information or do you avoid it totally? So I don't avoid it totally, but I, and, and this is, this is pretty bad, but I honestly, if when you swipe left or swipe right on your phone, like those four little stories that they drop out at you and it's pretty curtailed. Like I've got, I've got, I've got uh, NPR, PBS, uh, uh, Fox News, and the Wall Street Journal, and a couple other conservative magazines. Very just balanced. Right. Dude, I don't, you know, honestly, it's, I really like PBS. I like the News Hour. I really like NPR. It is, I don't want to say that it's slated, but I know that the right thinks it's slated. So it's like, I'm not going to say that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say that I trust the news that comes out of that yeah. more than I so that's kind of the way I structure it. And I try to see what they're reading. That way I know where their mindset is. Yeah. I, 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 again, it's, it's like you say, where's your information coming from? It's like, I try to minimize it. I haven't watched the news and probably it's probably been two months. It's probably been two months since I physically sat down and watched the PBS news hour. Usually, you know, we used to do uh, the NBC nightly news, PBS news hour, and then they have a couple of cooking shows on after that. And that's what we got on. <laughs> And we watch, you know, they, they got all kinds of good stuff. You know, Jamie, Christopher Kimball, America's Test Kitchen. You got all the good stuff. So that's kind of what we, we do in our house from from 5 to 7. And now it's like, now there's no TV on. And if we're all burned out, then we'll put on like Bob's Burger or something like that. Yes. My three-year-old daughter calls them the kids. She's like, can we watch the kids? It's like, yeah, sure. Everybody needs to be a little bit lighthearted. I, I enjoy a good pun, a little wordplay. So. Yeah. We've been watching some Sesame Street lately, and I haven't watched that since I was, oh, I don't know, eight. Uh, it's so good, and it's so healthy right now. I think to just a little happy, healthy escape, I think it's awesome. fine. It's wholesome. It is wholesome. Tim, uh, we, this, it's funny to see your face right now because when I saw you over the weekend, you had a big mask on. So now I can see your cute face. Um, you are. Well, our friend Jensen Lorenzen said you are one of the best chefs here, and um, and I trust Jensen. It's a and pretty strong statement, but I I I also trust him, and and that's a huge compliment. Yeah, that's a massive compliment. Yeah, and I uh, I dined at Via Creek a couple of times. I don't know if I did when you were there, but otherwise um, we haven't made a connection before. Oh, but you were on the cover. We put you on the cover of Edible Slow magazine. Which was really cool, honestly. I thought that was just such a such a cool way. One, the way that article shook out, and and two, it was really unexpected for both Liz and myself. Yeah, we uh, Liz who wrote it. Yes, who and she's so great. But we didn't plan for a cover. And as we were going through it, the publisher and I said, "Oh, this shot of this guy. You were bending down in a field picking. Were you out in AG? Yeah, I was over at Pepper Creek Farms. Right. 
And it was just such a great shot. So perfect for a cover. So yeah. Overcast. She had the best day for shooting. Liz was so stoked. She just kept talking about it the whole time. Uh, 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 we're, we're, we're like in a field of weeds picking, picking radishes amongst weeds because you know, they're pepper Creek's fantastic. They're not certified organic, but I've been to their farm, man. I know what they're doing. I know how they're doing it and I know why they're doing it. And that's really, that's really what led me to, to their farm and testing it out. It was really cool to be able to go out there and, 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 you know, pick with, uh, uh, pick with them. So, yeah. Um, so tell me if you were at a cocktail party or something and, and somebody you didn't know said, Hey, so Tim, what do you do for a living? How would you answer them? It's a tough question right now. Uh, so, I mean, right now, I guess I can say that I have a pop-up bakery in uh, Los Osos. I, I pop up every Sunday at Pable Soap Co., which is my wife's uh, uh, warehouse here in Los Osos. And uh, uh, I've been doing Fridays at uh, Le Petit Canai in Paso. The North County said they wanted some bread, and so I've been doing that uh, for about about five weeks now and it's and it's good it's 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 a nice turnout it's not what sunday is but i've been working on this down here for almost three years now so wow has it been that long uh you know i started so you know this is this is uh, you've cracked the egg so 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 now 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 we can go into it but um so i got out of the culinary industry for a moment uh and i had a i had a grand desire to to stay in it, at least stay relevant, uh, you know, kind of keep my finger on the pulse. And it was really difficult to figure out how to do that. I had just had my daughter and I didn't have a desire to work for anyone else in the county. Um, it was, I, I, I was burned out. I had come into two situations where um, I had tried to restart, resuscitate a couple of restaurants uh, down here and I was the third or fourth guy through in a year in both spots. And it was like, no one wanted to see new. No one wanted to do anything interesting. They wanted security because everything that they had gotten to that point, you know, was when people try too hard, sometimes, sometimes it doesn't turn out. And a lot of the stuff that I was doing could be, could, I think, I think if you're not comfortable with grilled escarole, you're not going to order it. And I know that it's delicious and I know that I can execute it, but having that trust uh, is something that I never really got in, in the North County community. Um, so as I, as I left those places and I was trying to figure out how I was going to move forward in, in the culinary world uh, uh, here on the central coast, uh, I started working for, a farmer, uh, an avocado orchard, uh, that I was, that I was actually buying avocados from. Who is uh, that? So his name is Ron Trace. He's an amazing character. Um, and this, this is, this is deeper down the rabbit hole. Uh, but him and I hit it off really, really well. He, we used to get avocados from him when I was at Camino in Oakland. And I know that the structure of basically any, produce that we got through there meant that not only it was top of the line, but it was also the highest detail to organic and authenticity, authenticity, uh, that you can find. And, and Ron is that he's nothing but authentic. He's, he's amazing. But so we hit it off. We, we made and became fast friends. And when I, I, uh, 
when Via Creek closed, that's that's where I was. Uh, uh, lastly, uh, he was like, "Well, you know, I could use a little help. Do you want to come in?" And I, I yeah, all right, I'll come in. And I kind of did it part time, and then it became full time. And you're just I, working in the gr- you're just working in the orchards. I, I, ten acres of avocados. Uh, it was me and him, and mm-hmm. I managed all of it. It's like ten acres on a twenty degree slope. It's a really cool, cool place, man. If you want to see a great farm. They're pretty tight-knit, but I'm sure they'd make an excuse for you to get out there, especially if I took you. But um, it's a very, very cool spot. Um, it's it's right off of Toro Creek Road on the Cayuca side. Yes, I was going to say, I think I know about it. What's it called again? Traceland. Traceland, okay. Traceland Organics. And you and- know, it's funny you say that because I have heard that they're super tight and they don't just let anybody in. <laughs> so no, are I- you giving me an invitation? Because it's on tape now. I, you know what, man? I go up there regularly. They stop by our house. They're closer to family than they are anything else. Awesome. I literally had breakfast with him and his wife every single morning for two and a half years. So that's amazing. It's, it, it really, really cool. Really, really cool. I got some photos of my daughter when she's like one and a half, maybe two, running up the twenty degree slope and like turning valves with me. So cool. And I bet you learned so, so much. You know, I have a pretty solid background in agriculture already, so. It was, it was, it was a, uh, it gave it a backbone. I had a lot of loose material and it really gave it a backbone and something that I can stand up and kind of look at. Anyhow, long story even longer, I was trying to stay engaged culinarily. And what I ended up doing is I've got a couple of really great friends in Matt and Melanie Brain who run Baker and Brain Wines. And um, I started popping up at their tasting room just because I wanted to bake and I did all of their, their uh, pickup parties. People were like, oh, where can I get this bread? Where can I get this bread? I'm like, well, I make it. And so that's kind of the, uh, uh, the origin uh, of, of uh, wayward baking. And how did you, as you were mounting up to this, I mean, as you've been a chef and a cook all this time, did you always have an affinity for like pastry or, or did it come up all of a sudden? You know, man, we can. We, you want to go all the way down the rabbit hole? We can, dude. But we I, have we have forty minutes. You go no, right ahead. So I, I started out in nursing school, working at a grocery store as a barista, and they, the 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 cafe was attached to their bakery. And one of their one of their cake decorators called in sick, and they were totally hosed. And I, I looked at them. I was like, Yeah, I can do that. And they were like, You can't do that. I, I can. I, I know I can. And they're like, well, what's your experience? I'm like, well, I, I laid like 10,000 bricks in my backyard with my dad. You, what you guys are doing is laying bricks and, and, and concrete. I know how to do that. And they were like, well, let's see. And like, I was like, all right. I mean, I have never done it before, but I throw it down and kind of spin the thing and it starts coming together. And they're like, it's not right, but it's way better than average. You know, to start. <laughs> so like, then I became a cake decorator at, at, you know, it came with a, it came with a, a, a wage increase and, and, and better hours for me. I got to work at four o'clock in the morning and, and, and that means I was off by noon and I could go to school. So I started doing that totally burned out of nursing school. I started watching, we were in the first part of it and you go into geriatrics and watching people die was not my thing. Oh. Uh, it's the worst. I, I, I have so much, my mother is an RN uh she was for 50 years she's amazing like i cannot do it i can't do it i cannot 
you would hate somebody because they were mean and they were old and you'd be like, you're such a pain in the ass. And then they die and you feel terrible because you hated them. And you really like somebody because they were so sweet and maybe they had somebody and maybe they didn't and you wanted to do everything that you could and then they would die and you would hate. And I was like, this is terrible. I do not have the heart for this. No. So no. I dropped to that and I, I, I went to culinary school. I went to culinary school because I was baking cakes on my days off and and it, they sucked. They were terrible. And the ones that I was making at the grocery store sucked and they were terrible. I was like, this is, this is not what, what food should be. You know, you're pouring water and hydrogenated oil and, and, and fat with sugar blended into it, into a mixer and then pasting these cakes. And I was like, there's got to be a better way. I went to school. I went, I went to go be a wedding cake decorator. And, wow. and man, it, it has been it has been a hell of a journey since then. When you say that those cakes sucked, I mean, you, you just mean like the raw materials, it was disgusting or or that I would never, you were I bad at it. I would never, ever, ever eat a cake from a store. And let me tell you right now, here's where it is for anybody who's listening. So Sweet Tex, which is what they use in the grocery stores, is a stabilized hydrogenated oil that melts at 98 degrees and let's talk about what temperature your body is mm. and what that stuff does when you eat it. It does not melt, it does not go away, and it stays with you. It is like, when I found that out, I was like, oh no, what have I, what have I been doing? What have I been eating? And, and, I <laughs> and what have you been feeding people? Right, and I knew it was bad when I was doing it, but it was just because, you know, they were bulk made and they weren't great flavors and we were taking, you know, jars of schmear and, and lemon schmear and cherry schmear and whatever flavor were people have asked and we're spreading it between cakes and it's like dude there's a better way to do this there's there is a better more valuable more flavorful you know more soignee way to do this so soignee i love that word and i haven't heard it in so long it means elegant right doesn't it mean kind of more elegant rich elegant it's it's rico es muy rico you know it's okay <laughs> It's the French version. I love it. So uh, you said that you went to cake decorator school. Is that right? Oh, CCA. I went to pastry, uh, bakery and pastry school in the California Culinary Anatomy. In culinary San Francisco? School. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That was 2003. And how did that work out for you? Did you like that track? It was like the best thing I've ever done. I got out of like all sciences and, and you know, organic chemistry and, and, and physics and biology and all of that that I was doing for nursing school. And I jumped straight into this. And it's like people are struggling because it's, it's, it's a lot of science when you start out, especially in the bakery and pastry side. They start you with bakery and pastry science. That's the first thing you jump into. And I was like, ace it, ace it, ace it. And it's like this is the easiest thing I've done in so long. And then I went and the first thing you do is cakes. And I was really good at decorating cakes, too. So I was like, I got this. It's in the bag. <laughs> Oh, man. And so I was pretty actually cocky going in. And, and this is kind of what, what drives me into what I'm doing now and kind of what I love about it. But the next thing you do after cakes is uh, uh, bread. And uh, I'd never made bread before, yeah. ever. And I went in there and the, the chefs talk. And, and I was clearly very good at cakes. And uh, I, I, I took on a leadership role in a, in a 20 person class. And we walked in, and uh, uh, I, I, the name slipping my head. I think Kunkel is his last name, uh, but he was the bread chef, 
and Mike Kunkel. I think that's it. Uh, but he destroyed me. He he brought me down to to peg zero, and he humiliated me regularly and made everything that I did with breads and pastries. You know, he 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 he'd say, "All right, all right, you're doing that too hard. Fifty percent less pressure." Okay, it's like. All right, fifty percent less than that. As you right. you mean as you're needing? As I'm rolling out and and, and working with dough, he's like fifty percent less than that. And really? I'm like, okay, and he's like fifty percent less than that, and I don't want to watch you do this anymore. And he'd walk away, and I'm like, oh, oh I'm terrible at this. You're just breathing on it at that point. <laughs> I was like levitating over it. I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Oh my god! It was it was it was, you know, humbling to say the least. And and I do remember the one baguette that I made, that somebody else gave him, and they, this is towards this is at the end of the class. This is this is after like I had nothing. I wouldn't even give him any of my bread anymore because I didn't I didn't I didn't want to receive the the critique. I knew I knew it wasn't good enough. And I knew I kept trying to make it better, but it wasn't worth going up to show him anything but somebody took one of the baguettes that i made and brought it to him i was like oh wow this is really nice he brought the class around to look at it and and he commended the person that gave it to him and they were like i didn't make it so well, who made it well, tim made it you made this full disbelief you made this yeah it's like show me your other ones he showed me that when he cut it open he's like well look at look 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 what we have here a little bit of growth He's just like, I still wouldn't need it, though. And he walked away, and I'm like, all right, all right, all right. You got, you got. What a jerk. Are all bread people big jerks like that? You know what, man? I think a lot of people need that. A story that kind of keeps coming back more and more uh, uh, that, that I reference um, was I was – a friend of mine was starting out in San Francisco at, I, I, at one of the seafood places, and he was he was working on something. I think it was like a, 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 a hollandaise sauce or something like that, and he had broke it over and over and over again. And he finally doesn't break it. He brings it up to his chef, and he shows it to him. He's like, Chef, look! And the guy looks at him. He's like, great, you did your job. Get back to work. And it's like it's there's there's something about that that I think is so necessary for the culinary world because – Here's another one. We'll, we'll, we'll go down this too. Uh, a new favorite quote of mine is from David Chang lately, and he was asked about, you know, uh, uh, home cooks, and he's like, "Do you think the fact that people are cooking so much at home will will have uh, an effect on on the way the culinary industry is seen and how people how people cook and whether or not there'll be harsher critics?" And he's like, "When you're cooking at home, you're trying to hit a target. When you're cooking in a restaurant, you're trying to hit a bullseye." every single time mm-hmm. and if you don't take it that seriously you don't belong and that's that's mike kunkel telling me that my bread sucks when it's totally edible and it's fine but it's not perfect and it could be and it never will be perfect but you have to have that drive and desire to constantly improve and constantly evolve and constantly make something better and that goes into the tale of great you did your job and hey that's good but i wouldn't eat it and that mentality is it's faded a bit but it's still it's still a really strong i think that's the backbone of of truly good cuisine Hmm. it's hard to maintain that for a long time though isn't it i don't do it anymore yeah i mean i'm very hard on myself about my my breads My, my wife could tell you that i'm just the worst 
I had, but it's because it's also ingrained in me. Yeah. I mean, and from, from these megalomaniacs that screamed at me for years and years and years. Yeah. I respect the. I I really do respect anyone who jumps ship. I I respect anyone who stays with it too. I mean, I I've never worked in a kitchen other than my own. And man, we're talking about a huge target in my house. It's pretty broad. Face <laughs> gun? Oh, it does. Going on the table. <laughs> yeah. Everybody eats, but yeah. But I I have a lot of respect for people who do the job, do the work excel at it and then say you know what this is just not working for me or or they admit i think a lot of people don't want to admit that sometimes the excitement and the adrenaline fades and becomes it can become toxic oh i mean that's that's that is my story in a handbasket i mean if you talk about like my my trajectory and how i got to where i am i mean it goes from working with with you know who i consider the the godmother of central coast cuisine which is Pandy Pearson at Windows on the Water, yeah. arcing into Saison and my Michelin stars and climbing from one star to two stars and then, you know, being part of, of, of the year that led to three stars, but not, you know, I, I, I cut out. But you want to talk about, like, toxicity and 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 burnout and, and exactly the things that you're referencing with, with, with just saying, hey, you know what? I, I just I I wanted to climb the mountain. I got up here. I don't really like what I see. I don't like the food. I wouldn't sit down and eat it. I think that it's a little too. I, I can I swear? I swear, man. You like finger fuck food? It's like ooh, I'm gonna touch it thirteen hundred times before it gets to your plate. It's like you know, guys. Like, I've never heard. That. I've never heard that before, and I. And it, it's a that's it's a it's a crude way of of when you've over touched a plate. Yeah. I've heard numerous chef stop finger fucking my food and you're like okay got it got it sorry sorry chef but it's sorry. precious it's like precious the whole process it is it is and it's and it's a kind of pressures that that i uh, i you know man i can't even eat it like i like i i i i you know ricky over at six test kitchen like go for it man go for it he's killing it it looks yeah. great i just I couldn't do it. I couldn't sit down and eat it. I know I couldn't sit down and eat it. And it's not because it's not delicious. It's just, it does nothing for my soul anymore. It just absolutely, and it's, and again, that has nothing to do with it. There's a place for fine dining, but, but fine dining killed that space in my soul. I, I, I shot for the stars. I got to them and I was just like, I don't like this anymore. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I <laughs> For me, I used to really value like it was a it was a goal of mine to dine at Alinea. It was a goal of mine to dine at the um, French Laundry. I only ever got to Bouchon. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's that's all I could convince my husband to spend. Um, we had it, such. I mean, it was such a good meal too. You know. Um, I, never ate, I never ate at Saison. Really. Nobody I know ever, no, 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 no family member or friend of mine ever came in and sat down. Yeah. Well, and I, I, it was a big goal. I mean, and I'm thinking like, I don't know, late twenties for me. Um, and then I went abroad and was in people's home kitchens in Italy. And then we had our own place in New Zealand and everything's so rustic. Yep. And whole, whole ingredients, not manipulated a ton. 
And I fell in love with that style of cooking and eating, but then even further from Alinea or, um, or Ricky at six, um, is the fact that I had kids. So, Oh yeah. (laughs) Trying to take them to a restaurant or get a babysitter. Oh, well, and I think my taste also, I think it just went, I, I don't know if blunted is the right word, but I, all of a sudden it was more about, I've been pretty open about, I had a really hard time as a young mom. Um, and so all of a sudden it's the priorities changed so much. It was more like survival. Now my kids have the best palates. They just like, we made Jensen's, um, the larder cookbook, the Albondigas soup, which is. Yeah, I saw it. It looked great. But it's really spicy, like true. And I like spice, but it was up there. My kids asked for seconds. Wow. Big round spice, not hot, not no. so spicy you can't take it, but it fills your mouth up. Yes. And it was, and it tasted good. You know, it wasn't just yeah. hot. Oh, cause there's good fat in there and that mutes it. And that's what keeps you coming back for more. And I'm sure you squeeze a little lemon or lime in there totally. and that keeps more acid and backs it up. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of food, big, rustic, really not precious. That's the kind of food that we're making these days around here. So I left Saison. And I started to I, I started serving tables at, at out the door on Bush and Fillmore in uh, San Francisco, which is Charles Fan restaurant. Right. And we were doing, you know, that's like it's like fast casual. Ele- it's it's elevated fast casual Vietnamese. And it was easy. Dude, they had me working the worst hours. And I was like, let's do it. They're like brunch shifts. And I was like, Look, let's crush it. Let's do 250 covers. I can do this. This is like nothing. Serving was serving is like one of my all time favorite things. Really? I'm a fairly sociable human being and, and again, like the service part of it doesn't bother me and I'm not a great server, but I'm a good server. Like I'm a solid eight and, and, and like I can screw up and I can go to the kitchen cause I know what I did. I know what I did to the kitchen. I'll be like, look, I did this. Let's figure it out. Yell at me like, and they're like, ah, oh, uh, like that kind of honesty, you give that to a kitchen. They're not used to that. They're used to like servers coming up and be like, um, table 46, they're missing their omelet. I don't know what happened. And they're, you know, chefs start digging through the tickets and they're like, well, you, you didn't ring it in. They're like, I'm pretty sure I did. And then they walk away and you're like, ah. So defensive and kind of like covering their butt. Yeah. And so that, that creates a, you know, front of house, back of house environment. But like when you come up to a, to a, like, like your line and you tell the expo or your chef, hey man, I screwed up. What can we do? How fast? How long? There's there's a great deal of leniency that's given, and I took all the leniency I could get, and and I really enjoyed the time that I spent there serving. But I jumped into a farm shop as a pastry chef in Larkspur, and I, I was their their opening pastry chef in Pizzaiolo, and and I taught them all about wood fire cooking because they're French cooks and they're all from the French Laundry and they'd never lit a fire in their lives. Uh, they're like they're like mal- Maltini magoos. They're like we're wait, what do you mean? There's different styles of heat. And you're like, oh man, this is, and I just came out of Saison. So it's like all based on wood fire cookery. We're like, all right, all right, let's, let's line ourselves up here. And so I went to that and that was supposed to be rusty, rustic food. And, and, and it was, it was like, it was a little bit closer to Bouchon. You know, Jeff Cerciello owns it. He's the one that opened all the Bouchons. Uh, Mark Hopper was the, uh, 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 or he was the one that ran all the Bouchons. Mark Hopper ended up taking over Bouchon when Bouchon took over uh, uh, nationally and went New York, uh, Las Vegas, 
I think I think uh, uh, Napa and uh, uh, LA at one point he ran all of them. Hmm. Wow. Based out of Las Vegas, the guy was a maniac. Uh, just absolutely one of the most incredible, incredibly intense, but incredible people I've ever worked for. Um, but the food was a little too fussy, and it was a little too similar in terms of like that 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 Michelin edge of like kind of beat you down and, and work 12, 16 hours a day. And so we bailed. My wife and I went to Italy, and when we went there, we were like, we went for six months, and we were like, get out of here. I was, I was just like, it, it was my second time through. I spent, I spent three months in college, three months in college. So wait, but, sorry, sorry. I spent three months in college, and then my husband and I went for six months. Yeah, yeah. So when were you there? The second time. Second time, 2013. Uh, 2013. That's when I stopped working at 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 farm shop. You know, fairly fairly. I was there for almost a year. Uh, basically, I was just like, you guys are doing the same thing to me. You promised you wouldn't, so I got to go. Um, and my wife and I, we actually had just gotten a construction eviction in uh, uh, San Francisco. The water heater above us, you know, the basement apartment, in San Francisco, out in the Richmond. The water heater heater above us busts, floods our apartment. We clean it up never really dries the one right above them breaks runs right through the same gap floods us again and the whole apartment is just black mold and you know it's like a bunch of eastern european guys that that own the building and they're like well what do you want to do and we're like well we can't live here anymore and we've been here for seven years so what like what do you want us to do and they're like well we can get you another space and we're like no, another space is another seven hundred dollars a month, like, and it's not comparable. Yeah. So they're like, we can do an eviction, and like we looked it up, and it was like that's like five to eight grand a piece, and they'll kick you out. It's basically three months rent per person, and they kick you out. And we we're like, well, what do we do with this? And we just zip. That is amazing. And and we we did the woofing thing. We did the worldwide organization of organic farmers. So and- did we. Yeah, we started in Rome and went all the way up to Piedmont and down through Bologna and into a little shithole called Campobasso, which is basically Rome's trash can. And it's beautiful and it's amazing, but, you know, everybody skunk eyes it. You know, we went to this spot called Cuno, and it's it's way north of Piedmont, and I guess they had a, a problem with iodine. Like, you know, or this is everything's like city-states, and everybody hates each other, and everybody does it it's better very, than the other person. Yes, and it's very small. And it's very small. So we go to Cuno and like we're telling this guy that we're sitting with, we're telling this this cardiovascular surgeon that we're that we're with in, in Rome, like we're going to Cuno next. He's like, Why? And we're like, Well, we we're gonna go up and it's like a sheep farm and they like do sheep cheese and and and, and charcuterie and he's just like, You know, there's a joke and we're like, What's the joke? And it's like when anybody says anything stupid in Rome, you go, Are you from Cuno? And it's because there was no iodine in their diet, you know. Oh thousand years ago and so they were like all known for being these you know dunces and it's like that's not fair that's not what the people are like there anymore but they hang on to it forever because you're in Italy I'm dying this is just too funny it's too good I'm sure well it's funny to think we you and Jeriel and my husband Jake and I were looking at the same list of farms as options, you know. We probably yeah. had the same list. And I don't know if your wife would say the same thing. How many farms do you think you stayed at? Let's see. Uh, we did Tuscany, 
Cunho, Bologna, Campobasso, and then we did uh, we did um, uh, Borgo Vatoro, which is oh my god, that was just a great. We we stayed there for six weeks. We were supposed to stay for three. We stayed for six. It was just the greatest thing we've ever done. Where is that? It's 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 uh, uh, south of Milan, uh, uh, north of Bologna. So you're you're like right there in in uh, uh, you know you're in Parmesan country basically. Yeah. You're in Parma, but kind of the outskirts. We're in like country country Parma. We're actually where the cheese was being made. So I love that area. Well, we uh, I think we stayed in I don't know eight eight different farms. Yeah, maybe ten. I can't remember. Um, in at least three of them, we walked in, and the family looked at Jake and looked at me and said, you, to Jake, you are on building that wall over there. Yep. And, and you are on childcare, to me. Yep. Did that happen to you? So, like, so we, when we were in Campobasso, Camp that place that I was telling you about, I I was saddled up with, oh my God, it's like a defunct agro-turismo that never got completed, and this poor soul just like, his whole life was destroyed. His wife left him, this and that, all, all this stuff. And then he's just a terrible curmudgeon, angry, angry dude. And it turns out the only reason that he brought us in is because he has a sign off as agriturismo guests and then works us like slave labor yeah. throughout his entire thing to kind of clean the place up. So he gets all the tax benefits of being an agriturismo. And he's like a truffle hunter, a defunct truffle hunter. He's got these dogs he's horribly abusive towards and it's a mess this guy will not talk to jerriel she will not at all she didn't see a woman for 14 days and whenever he had anything to say first of all jerriel's italian is horrendous which is not her fault i took i took two semesters of italian and spent three months there and we're doing like the uh the Rosetta Stone the whole time we're there. Yeah. And she's like trying her best. But, you know, you're trying to pick up a language in like six weeks. And when you're an adult, a full grown adult. Right. And 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 this guy just won't even speak to her. Won't look at her. Won't do anything. And like at one point we went over to his mother's house because she saw us walking down the street in town. And she brought us in because the town is so small. She knew that the two Americans walking down the street were clearly the ones staying at her son's house. And she brought her in. And when Jeriel came came in, she gave Jeriel a hug, and Jeriel like burst out crying, oh. just just crying. She's like, yeah, it's stressful. And Jeriel almost died twice while we were there, and <laughs> literally, like, no joke. I believe but, you. That's the sad part. Is I fully believe you. Like I, I, I saved her life twice, <laughs> once in the Heimlich maneuver, and and once with like a steady run of uh, uh, of uh, uh, vials of lavender oil in steaming pots of water to keep her from keep her from like she had like the original coronavirus. Man, she could not breathe at all. Oh, Whatever she picked up out there, like I I was terrified. I thought we were gonna lose her. Like, I thought we were going to lose her twice. Oh. First time when she choked and the second time with, when she couldn't breathe at all. And you're like, Jesus. Wow. <laughs> okay, well, our we didn't both, we didn't exactly almost die. 
but I escaped from a goat farm on foot with two yeah. backpacks oh, yeah. <laughs> by myself. Cause Jake had left. He had to come home to California for something and I had to get out. And so I, I had to run away from this place oh, yeah. in the Dolomite mountains. Dude, Tuscany, Fattoria Burana. That's dude. We had to get out. We had to get out. <laughs> it was like, this guy asked me to move a gigantic, like gigantic pile of manure. And like, this is after like cleaning up a defunct olive orchard for like five or six days of Rosa Canina. And I don't know if you know what that is, but it's like these little rosebuds with like one inch thorns on them. Jerry L took one to the eye. Like this was a nightmare of an establishment. And he was like, yeah, you're going to clean that up. And I was like, mm, nah, we're gone. We're out. We didn't even have any place to stay. We're like, we're out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And and we found that the the tough stays were balanced by the great stays. You know, like you're talking about that place where you're all you're surprised because, oh, my gosh, it was so amazing. You just it's it's like life. Let's just say you don't know what's around the corner and the things that you fear the most may or probably won't happen. But the ones that you um, are the most excited for sometimes are disappointing. So you just, you don't know. And that trip was a great lesson in how to be flexible. Let's bring it full circle. You started the conversation. I was like, you gotta be flexible, man. You don't, you don't know what's gonna come. Like, like what's going on with this, this, this Zoom meeting that we're having instead of sitting across from each other and, and eating snacks and enjoying croissants and stuff like that. It's like, all right, you know what? Like, let's, let's talk on Zoom. It's not that bad. We're having a decent conversation, I think. Yeah, totally. And I, I've been sad for the people I invited, actually, because I feel like it. I feel like maybe it's doing a disservice to you all. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? It's been great. And there's and and I think anybody who's listening has gone through what we're going through right now and understands. Yeah. 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 Um, where did you grow up? I never asked you. Sacramento. South Sacramento, Sacramento Valley. Uh, so, like, I listened to, like, nine of your podcasts, and and there were so many repetitive themes. And, and Jensen and I have become really, really fast friends. You know, we've known of each other and we're associates, but kind of just revolved in, 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 in circles outside of each other. The entire time I was down here, and then I went away to the Bay, and then I came back and still didn't really – really touch bases with him and then his sister-in-law moved into my wife's space uh idolog floral and and we hung out a couple times and it ended up being father's day last year um i was going up to bodega bay to go camping which is kind of my stomping grounds my dad was a teacher so we went and we we went fishing 60 to 70 times a year in or 60, 70 days at least in, in the North coast, California, North of San Francisco, all the way up to, you know, Crescent city. And, uh, it was like, he, he, he was just floored. One of my buddies that was a sous chef at Saison was like there. And he was like, we started t- hitting bases and like talking about it. And he's like, what you did this, what you did this. And it's like, we grew up hunting and fishing. We kind of have this, he was, he was a, a poli-sci major, and I was a creative writing major, and both of us were like 20 units or something like that away from, away from graduating, and like I bailed from that because I didn't want to be a teacher and went into nursing school, and 
you know, the parallels are really, really impressive with, with the way that we all kind of start uh, and, and how, how we get to where we are. Yes. So we really got along. But Sacramento Valley, uh, uh, growing up there, it was like hunting, fishing, football. That's, that, mm-hmm. that, was like, that was like my life. And you wanted to get into creative writing. Oh, yeah. Oh, my, my dad was an English teacher. He was a, a tremendous creative writer and a very intelligent human being. Taught me to creative write. I got in a lot of trouble when I was younger. Uh, and so when I think it was the second or third time I got arrested and I was like in seventh grade. And uh, I know, I know. What Do you mind me asking a little bit about that? No, no, not at all. What did you get arrested for? Uh, beanie, uh, breaking and entering and uh, uh, shoplifting, and I stole a car. You stole a car in seventh grade? I started driving when I was in like fifth or sixth grade, because my dad was a member of Duck Club, so he taught me how to drive a stick shift, and I would drive around the Duck Club. I started doing ATVs and stuff like that when I was like five years old, right, so right. like it wasn't new to me, and then I went on year-round school, and so it's like November, and I'm off, and my mom is a nurse and she works and my dad is a English teacher in high school and I was alone and bored mm-hmm. and my friends weren't on the same schedule as I was. And so I just wreaked havoc on, on in and around the neighborhood I was in until it all caught up with me. Wow. And did, did that turn around because of the creative writing? Was that part of that? So what really helped it turn around was the fact that my dad basically had to take me to school with him from then on. And uh, my dad was a varsity head football coach and wrestling coach. And so he was a hard man. He was a very, very hard man. Uh, He was tough as nails, strong as an ox, and he had a good sense of wit and cynicism that comes along with one, enjoying uh, uh, classic American writers, and also having to deal with asshole teenagers who you have to unite as a group to accomplish on a field or a map. So I think I remember being in seventh grade and I was messing with a bunch of his players and he was having, this is where it ties back to creative writing. He's having me do all these creative writing exercises and write three part essays over and over and over and over again and correcting them and giving them back to me. And I'm doing junior and senior level lit with him and creative writing and read and react articles because he needs to keep me occupied and he's not cutting me any slack. And he had a great way about himself in the classroom. It was a very democratic format. He would read people's read and react essays. You know, you'd read either a short story or an article and react in a three part, uh, uh, in a three part essay. And then he would read the good ones out loud and the class would, um, would basically grade them with him being the final uh, uh, say in it. Um, and there would be little little like bickering between students and students would write stories about each other and stuff like that. But I became part of that. I remember I called out a couple of his, his, his senior football players and they were like, hey Beach, can we beat the shit out of your son? He's like, yep. And they worked me over. And so that was like the beginning of me just getting thumped for like three years. And I got really tough and I learned when you can say things and when you can't. And I learned what it was to really be bullied 
And I also learned what it was to defend yourself. And it was a really interesting time in my life. But I also fed and backed that up with a love for creative writing, which, like you said, you know, is that how you got out of it? It's like, I don't know that that's particularly how I got out of it. But I certainly learned to love the written word and and reading during that period of my my life. And mm-hmm. and it came along with a couple of bumps and bruises, too. What is a... Um what's a favorite writer of yours or what's a tell me a favorite book of yours um so uh so i love i love like like my first like like i i blasting with slaughterhouse five so i read slaughter slaughterhouse five and i became a huge vonnegut fan i blew through all of his stuff and that's like sophomore year in high school and then you know things kept releasing it was great you know man without a country and stuff like that loved loved Vonnegut and then I got into uh, uh, Bukowski and when I got into Bukowski I, that was when I became a creative writing major and I was doing poetry and everything else and I was like this is amazing and then you know self-doubt crept in and I was like I'm not good enough to make a life of this and I don't know that I want to be Charles Bukowski yeah. uh, I don't I know that some people do and I and I think that there was a part of me that lives actually still in me that's like oh, you're a degenerate you could be a degenerate it's like that guy's hard you don't want to be a degenerate. You're a degenerate gambler, womanizer, alcoholic, yeah. drug abuser. You're just like, do you, you don't want you don't want that life. And a misogynist. Like, no, let's a misogynist. And the poor women that let him. Oh Christ. I know. I know. So that, that, you know, I, I I I have I have I have matured a bit, but I still like darker, darker literature. Yeah. I think Cormac McCarthy is 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 my all time favorite Ooh, Arthur at this So point. dark. Yeah. Blood Meridian is the last thing that I that I that I read. And I, it was a reread, but oh man, if you haven't read that, the, the, that is biblical poetry in 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 gruesome gruesome Western tales. It is it oh. is tremendous, absolutely tremendous. Okay, Blood Meridian, it's on my list. And God bless people who read old books. I just I don't read new books. Yeah, <clears throat> There's no, I gotta catch up. I don't read. I I don't read new fiction and 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 i won't i i really won't touch anything that's 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 not renowned before like the 90s like i read angela's ashes and stuff like that but you know that was that was part of that was part of school i think yeah part of everything tim i know that there are a thousand other things that we could talk about and i also um feel like you could talk about your career so much more, but we will have to save that for snacks in person when all of this stuff is over. Um, yeah. Let me ask you a final question. It's your last day on earth and you're having a great time and you're with Jerry L and you're with your daughter. What are you going to have as your final meal? Um, you know, but with my final meal, I'd probably want my wife to be really happy and this wouldn't upset me. Uh, by any means, but I think like one of her favorite things is uh, a seafood tower. We did a little trip to uh, Seattle and we went to Elliot's, which is kind of like the cheesy uh, uh, normal seafood bar on the uh, on the wharf there in Seattle. And uh, we had a seafood tower and it was just tremendous. And I think I think like if I did a seafood tower with a big big glass of uh, bubbly rosé and uh follow that up by like some carbonara and then maybe maybe like 
maybe a ribeye after that, and 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 then like then hit like Pastry City and do some eclairs, and and uh, after after the eclairs, probably probably like a miniature distre would be really cool, uh, like a bunch of a bunch of handmade candies. I think I think that's that's the final meal, and, and cap it off with a, a a little a little digestive. I love a good I love a good uh, after dinner drink. Probably started it with uh, Negroni or two, mm. and just just fade into fade into oblivion. I love it, and I love that you thought of Jeriel and what she would like. That's very cool. Well, I mean, ha- what what is happiness if it's not your partner in just like like total and 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 utter like gluttonous beautiful like and that's what a seafood tower is let's not kid ourselves yeah. like a seafood tower if nobody's seen it that is like three to four tiers of seafoods starting with raw and going down to like smoked and 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 blanched things and it is just fun if you've never done it it is it is a bucket list thing and you've got to sign yourself up love it tim you're such a delight to talk to thank you so much for taking time to turn your computer on and talk to me from from far away Oh, it's a blast. I mean, I, I, I feel like we got sidetracked. We didn't talk about what I'm doing at all right now, but anybody looking for croissants or, 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 or baked goods, check out Wayward, Wayward Baking. Uh, we're here. We're doing it. I'm opening a spot. It's in Los Osos. Uh, you're, you're opening a new spot? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I leased a building uh, a couple months ago, and, and, and I'm slowly but surely, like, chipping away at this thing, and, and I'm doing it all alone, and it is hard. It's, 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 I've ne- and I'm doing it in quarantine. So nobody wants to show up. Contractors don't want to come. The, the health department's not coming out. Like the, the, the building department is actually very quick to respond via email, but they're not coming out yet. And it's like construction in the time of Corona is something serious. <laughs> well, as soon as that is done, let me know. And I will tell everybody how to get in touch with you and to find you. Oh, hell yes. Thank you. Okay, Tim. Thanks again. Ciao. Thanks, Jamie. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Consumed as always. I'm so glad you joined me. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. If you want to get all kinds of tidbits like recipes, updates on guests, and new seasons, join the Consumed mailing list at letsgetconsumed.com or follow me on Instagram at J-A-I-M-E-C-L-E-W-I-S. Until next season, wear your mask, wash your hands, cook dinner, send letters to your loved ones, support your local purveyors, and make a budget for takeout. Every little bit helps. Take care, everyone.